Aloha, and welcome to Season 2 of the Hawaii Business Podcast, presented by Servco Pacific. In each episode, we take you behind the scenes with Hawaii's most influential business, community, and cultural leaders. Our guests share their unique career paths and reveal their plans for the future. And you'll hear career, business, and leadership advice that's ideally suited to Hawaii. Let's get started. It's Season 2 of the Hawaii Business Podcast. Here's your host, Anyang Nakata. Today's episode is presented by Lexus Hawaii. Experience amazing with the all-new 2023 Lexus RX. Completely reimagined to offer a bold new vision of design, technology, and performance. This is the next generation of Lexus. Learn more at LexusHawaii.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Hawaii Business Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have with me the unique and dazzling, that's truly, I'm calling her dazzling, Robin Maii, co-owner and executive chef of FET. Welcome, Robin. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really love what you're wearing. It's like a green palaka. Yes. This is Ari South. Um, it's cut beautifully and it's really easy to wear. I love it because last time I saw you, you were in chef clothing. So yes, I love this. I call it my monkey suit. Your monkey. <laughs> okay. Okay. So there is a show that I love and because um, I love drag queens and it's called RuPaul's Drag Race. And this current season, there was a drag queen, although she was booted off early and her name was Robin Fierce. So when I was preparing for this talk story with you, for some reason, my drag queen loving mind said, oh, it's like Robin Fierce, because even though you're not necessarily uh, physically or your voice or your tone aggressive, I just get this fierce sense from you. And the other thing is, when I went to FET to talk story with you in preparation for today, I left feeling something that I had not felt before in another prep session. I left feeling like I left a new friend. And it made me think that you have this gift of connection. And then I was reading up about you and I was like, oh my gosh, we're like twins. (laughs) You love eggs. You love you love eggs a lot and you love them sunny side. Your favorite go to is pho. You also love avocado. You love gin and you love 80s hip hop. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) this is why. So welcome, Robin Fierce. Thank you. All of that is true. (laughs) I love I love all hip hop. I actually don't like profanity, like extreme profanity hip hop because I, I find myself sort of cringing, but I love 80s and 90s hip hop. I just love it. Yeah, it's 90s hip hop all over my car. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so um, I learned that you have a rich cultural heritage. You are uh, Korean, Spanish, Caucasian, and Native Hawaiian. And I'm Korean. And um, I looked up some Korean values, and I want to talk about four of them as it relates to you. One is harmony. I think you make a place where people feel good as they walk in. They're tenacious, your time in New York City, and also your whole through line. They value respect and reputation. I was thinking about that when I was reading up on you about being truthful about local sourcing. Mm -hmm. And they value education. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You nailed it. That's exactly how I was raised. (laughs) And this is from your mom, right? Yes. From my mother. Uh, We didn't have, we didn't go to church growing up. Our religion in the Ma'i household was education. Education has really uplifted families, right? Especially immigrant families. Yes, 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 yes. But you're also, in addition to Spanish and Caucasian, you're Native Hawaiian. And I, when I was, again, researching you, I found this beautiful photo of you at the James Beard Award ceremony. And you had the hakule and your attire and you're just, your lay on. And so I just love how you honor your culture. We, we really try hard to use as much local as we can. And so, what, especially when the, the James Beard Awards came, people were like, oh, you can like really glam up and then wear something gorgeous and beautiful. And I, I, I looked and I said, this is just not me, like walking into like Gucci or, you know, Prada. And I just felt so out of place. And, and then, of course, I looked at the price and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, this is like 
like crazy. How and many chicken sandwiches is that? <laughs> And then um, one of our my favorite cooks, um, Seth Moroka, his partner um, is in the design world. So I asked him, asked Kit, I said, where should I go? And so he he gave me a few names. And that's that's how I that that's what I did. Well, I think you did look glamorous. Thank and, you. But also representative of who you are. And, and that's who you are. And then Misha Lam, who's a dear friend. Um, yes, she, she makes fabulous jewelry. Yes, and so I, I was I was cruising on her her website, and I I saw this gorgeous necklace. It's called a rainbow pearl necklace. So I texted her and I said, "Can I come by and see that necklace?" And then she's like, "What? You know, lots of questions. What is this for? What are you doing?" <laughs> so I told her, and then she's like, "Oh no." We're going to do black pearls. And I said, oh, okay, I love black pearls. And then she's like, okay, we just need to add a little bit more. And then she's like, she put like more and then more and then more. And I was like, oh my goodness. She's like, no, it's going to be perfect. Yeah, and it so was. She was right. So this is, this is the, this is what happens when you spend all your time in a kitchen. Yeah. You have no idea how to dress yourself. You have no idea <laughs> like what, what's, you know, what's fashionable or what's, yes. what's, you know, you're just in this in this world of like making food. Yes. And so it was really, really um, appreciative of her. I loved it. I loved how hearing about how everybody loved on you, but you sure do know how to dress a dish. So I'd like to just jump right into the James Beard Award. Okay. Okay, let's do that. So you were the first female chef from Hawaii to win a James Beard Award. You won it in 2022, the James Beard Award for Best Chef Northwest and Pacific. And um, the James Beard Foundation is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to celebrate, support, and elevate the people behind America's food culture and champion a standard of good food anchored in talent, equity, and sustainability. Oh, that's a big one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And the last time a Hawaii chef was honored was 2003, Chef Mavro. And of course, you're the first woman of Hawaiian ancestry to ever receive the honor. So I know you've talked about this a lot. I know you felt a lot. You had a lot on your shoulders. But talk story with me about now that you've had a little bit more time to reflect. What did it mean and what does it mean for you going forward? It, I'm still processing it. It's funny because the, um, the finalists have been... The, this year's finalists have been revealed just la- just this past week. And so it's almost been a year and it really, really, I feel the gravity. I still feel the gravity yeah. of the award and I'm so delighted, so happy. I think it's a testimony to how hard everyone has worked, especially through the pandemic. Um, we just received our, um, our plaque to put up in the restaurant like literally we just put it up this past week and um chuck my husband thought it was really important to put it in a place where the cooks can can um can look at it so it faces the kitchen and it makes them really excited you know? so it's in the dining area but it faces the kitchen yes because guess what I am actually going to FET for lunch today. Oh, yes. Wonderful. So I cannot wait to see it. It's it's really it's it it gave me it gave me chicken skin when I saw it. Yeah. 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 I love that. And there's that through line for you too, is that you're always about your people, especially women, which oh, I can't wait to talk about in a little bit. So I love that even for this award, it was important to you and Chuck to face it towards your people, not your diners. Yes. I love that. Yes. Oh, okay. So um, let's talk about your family again, because okay. um, you told me that food was, because I wanted to know like, you know, how you got here, right? Because I'm so curious about journeys. So you talked about how food was always part of your life. And of course, we agree. It's just part of Hawaii. Today, I dropped off my kid um, for uh, at a friend's house and I was like, I can't go empty handed. So I dropped off musubis, bananas, some chips, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, and that you told me you grew up thinking about food. And so tell me about your family and your parents and how they created that gathering place. So both sides of my family love food. Um, my mom- Well, you're Korean, Caucasian, Spanish, and Native Hawaiian, all food. Yes, it's all food. Um, we grew up uh, hosting a lot of gatherings at our Aina Haina house. Sometimes it was six people. Sometimes it was 30 people. It was typically um, a menlage of 
potluck people cooking things and then people also like picking things up from their favorite or like you know okazuya or um you know fried saimin and everything was so savory and delicious everything so i really didn't understand how lucky and unique we were growing up in you Hawaii. Thought it was normal. I thought it was normal, and then I went to college. Purple bring me food all the time, and <laughs> and then I, I I went home with you know friends and roommates, and then I I realized, oh wow, we're really really lucky. Yeah. And so it was this idea of even the most humblest meals. My mother cooked dinner every single night. My dad cooked dinner maybe on the weekends, maybe Sunday, but he came home later. Um, and my mom, so my mom cooked every single night. And you had some good panchan and jjigae, didn't you? We did. Oh. And not like, so, but Hawaiian, Korean jjigae. Yeah. You know, there was always clams in there. There was always pork. Um, they didn't really, when I started researching Korean food, I realized, wow, our, our Korean food in Hawaii is very different than what you would find in yes. LA or Seoul. Um, I think that's the same with the the Chinese food, but Everything was delicious. Even breakfast, my mother would make, you know, breakfast for dinner was delicious. You know, the, the spam was, was fried, so it was like nice and sort of lacy crispy. The rice was always made carefully. The eggs were always like perfectly like sunny up or over easy. Everything was really, really just um, taken care of. And I think that's the value of FET. So I would tell the cooks, I said, hey, you know what? We're not asking for perfection. We're asking you to pay attention to what you're doing. Like you actually like are looking and tasting because someone actually is coming into the restaurant and going to pay food and going to put that in their mouth. Yeah. And then when I break it down that way, it it reminds them that they're not robots. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we source so many things locally that you can't you can't just say like, well, the portion is going to be this because you know, guess what? The zucchini is six inches long today, but sometimes it's like 12 inches long tomorrow. So you have to pay attention to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And and my parents really, really taught me that that value. It's like bringing, just bringing, being present, bringing an integrity to the task that you're doing. I love that. And you made that leap straight to FET, but that's exactly what I was thinking was that your parents... It wasn't perfection, but your parents showed how to show love and care through the presentation and the delivery and the gathering. When you talked about, I love Spam, by the way. When you talked about that you remember the crispiness and the edges, because you can burn Spam. Oh, sure. And even that was just done with care. Then I was thinking about things that I've ate at FET. So I just absolutely love that. Um, so you told me you grew up in Ainahaina and you had the great privilege of attending two of our finest schools, <laughs> Ponoho and um, Iolani. So I'm sure both schools say, oh, she ours. We get her, right? And But then later I was really um, pleasantly surprised that you told me you you said you were confused about your interests, but so you sang, you danced, you were in musical theater, you played volleyball and you played softball and you ran track. And then I asked you where you went to college and you said Middlebury. And I said, oh my goodness, I actually know where that is. It's a very small private liberal arts in the Northeast of this country. And I said, why'd you go there? So tell me. I wanted to go to get as far away from my mother as possible. <laughs> Because, because I'm laughing, but it's a nervous <laughs> laugh because I actually understand. Um, my mother is third generation Korean, and she, using your word earlier, fierce. She fiercely loves her children, and um, anyone who is, has a relationship with a Korean mother knows how intense that is. They yes. just, they just, they're. I think it's the fierce. The fierce comes out of wanting so much for your children and loving your children so much, but it borders on, on, on. Yeah. Um, it's just a fear. So it's fierce. It's a, it's a, it's a ferocity born out of fear, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and so that can be very overwhelming for, um, for a young adult, right? And who's trying to, kind of like figure it out, mm-hmm. and and. She always said to me from when I was really, really little, why do you have to be different? As if I was sitting in my bedroom thinking, how, like, how can I be different to like get, 
get my mother upset or, you know, to get under her skin. It was just my, the way my brain worked. I was like, well, why are we doing it this way? Like I had a lot of questions. I was very verbal. Um, I, I just, I didn't like the status quo. I, and so my, my mom in particular always felt like I was like going against, against the, um, the tide. Yeah. And so um, is it was very difficult to to figure out like okay I'm going to go to college now what am I going to do and you know everybody else is like I'm going to be a doctor I'm going to be an attorney and so it was it was hard you know I understand we we talked about this I understand I completely understand um, and you know we have to have compassion for whether it's first second third generation immigrant parents we have to have compassion for the values that they were brought up on the opportunities and skills that they were provided Mm -hmm. because, and then that's how they parent. Right. And I think you put it really smartly, which is it's from love, but the expression sometimes can be very, very harsh. And so I thought you were quite brave. You went really, well, you did it. You went really far. (laughs) You went to Vermont (laughs) and you um, majored in modern dance and English with this, with an emphasis on nonfiction creative writing. Why? Well, in my head, I was still selling this to my parents because I could then teach. Mm. So that was... Because being an educator in Asian culture is very, very respectable. Yes. And I came from... My mother was a teacher for over 30 years. Her mother was a teacher for over 30 years. My, my sister has taught. My father has taught. I've taught. Um, so it's in, it's in our blood to at this, you know, to teach. That's why your mom was at Kalani High School. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, but it, it was just, I don't know, this, this whole idea of, of being, being a respectful, dutiful daughter. Mm-hmm. And so when I did tell her, well, actually I'm turning down this teaching position at a really, really prestigious preparatory academy in New York city. That's super fun conversation to, to go to culinary school. <laughs> she just kind of like, there was silence. And then she said, what am I going to tell my friends? That's the first thing she said. Yes. What am I going to tell my friends? This silence is on purpose. Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, but you can relate, right? Like, I can. How, how's Robin doing? Oh, she's going to school to become a cook. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, we've spent generations trying to get away from because immigrants typically they came to America and mm-hmm. what was their first job? And they do F and B hospitality yes. exactly, but. Many times it was dishwashing mm-hmm. and then it may be into cooking. Mm-hmm. So this idea of... And now it, her double private school daughter wants to purposely go into cooking. <laughs> yes. And yes. that went to also that she likes to remind me that was the most expensive college at the time. Littleberry. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so it was, but then I think because of my tenacious personality and and her sort of just trusting me... I really, really wanted to pursue something that I loved. I, I told her plainly, I said, I don't think that you and daddy love your jobs. I, I You straight up told them I that? I said that. I, I remember saying that growing up because I just I just felt like they were unhappy. Mm-hmm. They, they were happy about having a family and us. everything was centered around the children, mm-hmm. but they never talked about their jobs. Um. It seemed like a means to an end. Like we have our jobs, we have we we have this family, we have a mortgage, and common to that generation. Yes. And I wonder if your parents' passion for gathering was their outlet. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And my and and they enjoyed the cooking. Like my mother clipped, um, assiduously clipped um, recipes from the paper, from Gourmet Magazine, from Bon Appetit, from Sunset Magazine. Um, my dad. So really, it's her fault. <laughs> if you think right, about I know, really, it, thank you, yes, mom. Thanks, mom. Yes. And my dad um, was, you know, so my my mother really got into the recipes, and she had to like follow it. And my dad is is because I I really think the Maies are a very creative family. My uncle sings. Um, my cousins all sing. They all can play instruments, and so my dad also can sing and and play the guitar. But so this idea of riffing and improvising he brought into the kitchen and so he'd be there and he's like he would like look at the recipe and then he would like put it away and then he's just kind of going and then something delicious would would you know come out yeah i love that so it was it was like 
in us. And my sister and my brother are also very good cooks. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I have to confess to you when you told me that your mom follows a recipe to a tea. I do the exact same thing. It's okay. <laughs> we, you, I worked at Gourmet Magazine I'm for a, a few plus years. B, I'm yes. a plus B equals C person. <laughs> no, it's, it's, we call, we call you recipe huggers and that's fine. <laughs> There's a whole industry that's based on yes. really, really great recipe development and testing. So, because who has time really? Like if you are like a working parent and you want to put something delicious together you don't have that much time you just want you want a good result yes yes i don't measure though because i'm lazy okay so i still don't get how the shift happened so when did you have the culinary inspiration you mean to go to culinary school and pursue this as a career probably i think the moment that it really kind of like wow i think i can do this was i was in the career office because in at middlebury Mm -hmm. my senior year and I saw a pamphlet for the New England Culinary Institute in Montpelier, which I believe no longer exists. And I said, ah, oh, culinary school. That sounds amazing. You know, something that you can really, really get up in the morning and be excited to attend. I just thought like, this is, this is what I want to do. And then I f- quickly, quickly, quickly realized how expensive it was. My parents said, Okay, kiddo, you are on your own. We are not paying for another an, another school. Mm-hmm. You have to figure it out. And so, figuring it out meant going to coming home and going to um, Kapolei Community College, a was, fine culinary it institution. Was, it was the time of my life. Yeah. I loved it. Oh my goodness. Okay, so you actually you actually turned down a teaching position, I believe, right? Which is yes. what you talked about earlier. Yes. To much to your mother's chagrin, but I bet she's smiling now. So you came home to attend KCC and it was a fine institution and you put yourself through, right? You paid yes. your first semester and then you went to school on scholarship. Yes. I was, I, you know, and I didn't, it's not as if I'm like this, you know, dutiful, super straight A student. I just, you know, when you're in something that you love and then the counselor, Lori Maihara is like, hey, there are these scholarships and nobody like, nobody applies to them. Because it's work. Because it's work. Right. But really- And you remember her full name? Oh my God, I love Lori. Yeah. Yes. No, she's still That's there. Awesome. She's That's still, awesome. She's like, she's like the KCC culinary mother. Yeah. Yeah. There's these champions of students, you know, at these yes. institutions. I love that you said her full name. So she encouraged me and I, I did the work and all of a sudden I had my entire culinary education paid for and it was, it was just, it really was sort of eye-opening because who can, it, you know, higher education is so expensive these days and mm-hmm. that's a, that's another discussion but i was very very grateful yeah and I, and I loved it and i volunteered for everything and i came in i came in early and you know did extra and i stayed late and my i i was literally on campus for probably like i don't know sometimes 12 to 16 hours a day yeah, yeah. i love that i went to school on scholarship as well and uh, education changed my life as well. So I can very much relate. I love that story. So I'm going to challenge you a little bit. So then after KCC, how come you didn't stay home? Why did you go to NYC? That's, I mean, a, that's a really, really good question. Um, it was it was not to bring it back to my mother, but I guess it is going to be back, back <laughs> to my mother. another break? No, I, I needed another break. <laughs> I... Um, that is true. I needed, we can take them in doses. Yes. I needed another break. And so, you know, the culinary school thing happened. I ended up doing the pastry program as well. I started working. Um, and then it was like, okay, what's next? And it was really stifling having graduated from college, still living at home, mind you. Oh, I see. But but I'm going to tell you the situation. Yes. Living at home, no door on my, my bedroom. I had to pay rent and I had a curfew. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so it it was really, really hard. And um, and I just needed a change. And so I thought, okay, am I really going to cook for the rest of my life? Maybe. And so I started doing research. And then I found this um, master's degree program at NYU in food studies. Mm, that's interesting. And then I thought, ooh, I can do that and then become a journalist, like become a food writer. Because you have a degree in English. Because I have a degree in English and non- nonfiction creative writing. So I, I applied and I got in and I was, that was it. I moved to New York City and it coincided with my brother graduating from Harvard. So 
we both convened on the city at the same time and we're roommates for two years. That's really neat. So, and so you worked at Gourmet Magazine. Yes. Yes. Now, I've never worked for media and especially print media, but I have the sense it can be very challenging. It was amazing. I mean, I working, showing up to the Condé Nast building every single day for two years um, at Four Times Square was it was kind of like a New York City dream, and you know, seeing Anna Winter in the like the cafeteria. I just got, I just got the Devil Wears Prada yes. like scenes no, in my it, mind. It was like it was real, and um, sort of being more of a witness to that New York City um, editorial um, lifestyle. Um, I mean, we were lowly paid editorial assistants, <laughs> but we were around, and we got to we got to go to the parties and. And we were involved in in sort of like that glamour part. But um, yeah, it was kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not sure if everyone knows that your interesting journey didn't end there. I mean, there's there's quite a bit more before you started FED. So next you went to the Art Institute of New York City. You helped to run a culinary program for five years where, you know, it's it's so great when you look back, it all makes sense, right? But when you're there, you're like, okay, I'm going to do this because you love a challenge, right? You, were, you honed your management skills and of course your HR knowledge, which is these skills aren't common in no. restaurateurs no. and executive chefs. And um I think you learned how to mentor others, right? Yes. And then, because you like pain, good pain, you- Hurts so good. <laughs> <laughs> you helped found a uh, Kingsborough Community College, part of the CUNY system. It's in Brooklyn. You told me it's next to Coney Island. You found a culinary program there. You got it approved in a mere year with a friend. You spent six years there. Wow. Yes. And then somewhere along the way, I asked you, okay, so where in all of this did you and Chuck meet? So tell me about that auspicious uh, moment when you and Chuck, Chuck met. Well, um, I'm a huge fan of Sex and the City. And well, you were there during the heyday. Yes, I was there when the last season, I, it was like... Newly there when the last season happened. Yeah, I'm a little ashamed, but I'm okay to say that during that time, I thought it was so cool. I would always order the Grey Goose Cosmo at this <laughs> nightclub that was here. I'm like, what was I doing? Anyways. I, anyways, so so just, I mean, just, it's, it's funny because um, I actually met Chuck in between two dates. Not that that was my regular thing you that I did. You had two dates on the same night? I had two dates on the same night. Because you were efficient. Yes. yes. You have to be efficient. Yes. So time is money. Time is money. <laughs> okay. And so I had a, I had one, I had a dinner date um, in Koreatown. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a drink date uh, after. Well, why not? You need a nightcap. <laughs> right. Okay. And then the drink date really was supposed to be around like. 10 and so when i when i called when i called my friend dave i was like hey i'm i'm near the restaurant the restaurant that he worked at he said well you know rocco wants to have a drink and we just we just wrapped the first episode of this of this um, reality tv show that they were working on and i said well i'm going home and he's like no don't go home there's a restaurant on the corner of 23rd and park just like go there it's called vanderbilt and i was like Ugh. so it was June 20th, and it was my mother's birthday. See, I always come back to, back to my mother. Um, and I said, okay, well, I'm not going to sit in some random bar by myself and drink for two hours. So I'm going to call my mother because it's her birthday. So we were talking on the phone, and I was walking back and forth in front of this restaurant. The bar happened to be facing the street. There was a huge window, and there was Chuck tending bar, and noticing me and he kind of like waved me in and I looked at him like really like I'm the only person that you waved into your bar <laughs> <laughs> okay oh my goodness I'm so jealous because I've always wanted to have a story like that where like oh I was craving cereal and I, d I ran out of it so I went to the grocery store and then I was in the cereal aisle and there was this guy and we liked the same cereal and we we're reaching for it and then he let me have it and now we're married and you have a story like that <laughs> I'm so envious well, well it, it it was a slow 
not super slow, but it, we, because of our um, separate experiences with other relationships, we were both in a place where we didn't want to be in a relationship. Mm. So that was established in the beginning. Like we, we, he would, he, I was out of like a really intense relationship. He was like divorced. And so, so it, there was really little pressure on us. And I mm-hmm. think that allowed us to really be ourselves. And then, and then that's, and then over time we fell in love. So it wasn't as if there was like this like spark and then we're like, okay, let's go. It was, it was, we were, it, I believe we really started, it was a friendship that, that turned into something that we felt would be, you know, longer. (laughs) Well, I already love that. And I think it's beautiful. You know, we don't necessarily talk about love and uh, partner relationships so much on this podcast, but if there's anyone listening right now that is open to this story, what I hope they heard from this is, is that a really foundational part of love is friendship. Yes. And whether you get married or not, I don't think that's the important part, but life is hard and life comes at you hard. Yes. And if you don't have a foundation of friendship and it's just the spark or just looks, it gets rough. Oh, it gets rough really fast. And, and, you know, Chuck was, he was a bartender again. He's seen it all. Well, what am I going to tell my mother? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So my husband was a waiter when we met. I got the same thing. What does he do? He passes out food. <laughs> he <Exactly>. slings drinks. <laughs> yes. So it was, it, you know, but I, I do believe when you're, so I met, I met Chuck when I was 29. And so you're, you're not a, considered a young adult anymore. And you've dated, you've dated people and, and your priorities change of what it is, you know, like what are the, what are the things that I, that I need in a relationship? And so, the fact that you said friendship, laughter, Chuck just made me laugh so hard. And yes. He was so smart and it's, he just made me laugh so hard. That's all that's left at the end of the day, really. Yes. Really. Okay. So let's take a short break and hear from our presenting sponsor, Surfco Pacific. And then when we get back, I want to dig into, okay, you met the Chuck uh, pacing back and forth on your mom's birthday. And then let's talk about how FET came to be born, your Hoppa baby. Wonderful. So we'll take a short break. Today's episode is presented by Lexus Hawaii. Owning a Lexus goes beyond the joy of driving a luxury vehicle. It's a lifestyle. Experience amazing as a Lexus owner. Starting with a Lexus Takumi Master Craftsman, each specializes on a particular element of the production of your very own vehicle and has at least a quarter century of experience in their field. The Takumi's meticulous attention to detail, belief in excellence, and a superior quality are unmatched. Lexus Hawaii owners are also invited to join Lexus Perks by Surfco. Enjoy unparalleled experiences at exclusive events and receive special offers just for being a Lexus owner. To learn more and experience amazing, visit LexusHawaii.com. Welcome back, everybody, from the break. Today, I have with me Robin Maii, co-owner and executive chef of FET. How was the break for you? Oh, it's great. Okay, so like we promised our listeners, let's dive into um, how FET was born because you you had to move back, right? You were in New York City. So you told me that one of the trips home, Chuck said, let's move to Hawaii, that he felt better here. What does that mean? Um, New York City is intense. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it can know, be good or bad. Yes. And it was just weighing heavy on Chuck. He he always felt better when we visited Hawaii. And he I love that he said, can we move home? Because he's not from Hawaii. So I to call it home. Yes. Wow. And and that really, really um resonated with me. And 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 the short story is is that coinciding with him wanting to move to Hawaii, we as a couple decided that we were going to part ways with our fertility journey of having a child. Oh my um, goodness. So that kind of- Did you ha- try IVF? We did. We did IVF seven times. Seven, seven times? times? So I'm sure- We, we only did one. So everyone oh my goodness. is doing the math. Like anybody who's had that journey is oh doing the math. Goodness. So they know. And, um, but we managed to, 
to our our relationship stayed intact. I know I know people who yes who, who who's, you know whose relationships too. that have have parted ways because of the the fertility journey. Yes. So we we decided that we were going to move on and move forward, and and really I do not believe Fet would have opened had we had children. That's really so, interesting because then that would be your priority. Yes. And, and as you know, children are expensive. Mm-hmm. And, and in my mind, because I had this really, really stable job at Kingsboro, it was like tenure track, mm-hmm. you know, great benefits, great schedule, um, very, very good pay that, that I was going to die there. I was mm-hmm. going to die in New York City. We we're going to have maybe two children. Mm-hmm. They were going to, you know, we we're going to just work hard to make sure that they had a good life. Well, that didn't happen. And so we, it, it also coincided with um, our love for going out to eat because there's so many awesome places to eat in New York City. And towards the end of our time in New York City, probably like for the last five years, so many restaurants were opening so quickly, mm. but small little restaurants and not like grand fancy restaurants, but neighborhood restaurants. And we would try all of them and some of them are great. And and a lot of them weren't so great. We're, we we left spending $300 and um, feeling very sort of, mm-hmm. you know, ho-hum, lackluster, and just kind of like, wow, I, th- I think we can do better. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't think that we were like going to be like the best, but we think that we could do better. We, the service can be better. The food can be better. The, the, the wine selection can be better. Um and it's like you're doing market research. Yeah. And it just and then we found ourselves really, really going back to my parents' love of entertaining, we started doing that more and more and more. So mm-hmm. so maybe something that we did once a month became like once a week. All all types of gatherings for all kinds of occasions. And we just really enjoyed it. We enjoyed the collaboration. We enjoyed making a theme and building building our occasion around the theme. And, and so that's when we were like, okay, maybe we can do this. But then I told Chuck, I said, hey, if we're going to do this, we have to do this right. We have to make a plan. So we took two more years in New York City to sort of really, really work on the business plan, um, start to garner investment um, before we move back. This is incredible. So I'm listening to this story and... It is a blueprint for basically a startup, right? Yes. You do your market research. You take what you take, what you like. You learn from what you don't like. Then you beta test it. Can I really execute this on a very small scale, right? And then you said, okay, I'm going to look for investment. I'm going to write a business plan. I'm going to plan this out. You know, so whether it's FET or whether it's another restaurant or whether it's a, an app or whether it's a CPG. I absolutely love that you and Chuck held yourself to that rigor. I mean, as a nerd, I just love it. So you come back in 2014 after your two years of, you know, mission, market research, mood boards, financials, investments, and FET opens in 2016. So it's been, let's say, seven years. Mm -hmm. You won a James Beard Award last year. So what is still giving you joy with FET today? That is a very, very good question. I I do wake up every single morning really, really psyched to go to work. Um, well, you work with some badass women. I do. That doesn't hurt. Yes. Well, I work with the in- inimitable Emily Gucci. Your number one badass. Yes. Well, don't let Chuck hear you say that. <laughs> she. I mean, she is my. She is the number one badass. I mean, she. <sighs> I always say we have to do another podcast just on my relationship with Emily. Oh. Um, <clears throat> and I love that you gave her a shout out at the James Beard Awards. Oh, yeah. she's yes. just... Um, I saw the picture of you too as well. <laughs> That's your person. It, she's my person. I love her more than I can... If I if I talk too much about how much I love her, then I just dissolve into a puddle. Um, but she is, is um, so, so just fierce in the kitchen, physically, emotionally, intelligently... She just gives, 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 gives to the cooks. Um, you know, we do play bad cop, good cop all mm-hmm. the time. Um, and 
and and we hold the cooks to a very high standard. And I think that the reason why um, FET is FET is because of this tenacity of holding a standard. Mm-hmm. So, and that goes back to how we source food. We there we don't have the luxury of sort of dialing it in or coasting because of the how we source food. Food comes in imperfect. And that's not to say that it's not good for you. All of our food is wholesome. But when the farmers call us and say, hey, can you take a grade B carrot or kale or whatever, they know they can count on us that we'll we'll move that food for them. Mm. But that means there's an extra burden on our end. And I say burden is not a bad word, but a burden to pay attention to like, okay, so this is not as perfect as last week. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. What's the move? Mm-hmm. And and that, when you think about it, that's exactly what our parents did. Well, you know, that's so funny you just said that because I was just thinking about your mom's spam. Yeah. How do you take this low grade, sometimes comical uh, piece of meat and you put that perfect crisp on it? Yes. So it for me, it's all sort of like we treat we treat vet like our house. You you will never hear me say, okay, we're in Ohana, we're a family because because I don't, I think that's thrown around very, very lightly in the workplace. We're a family and everyone smiles. And then like you hear about all these like unsavory things happening. And I'm not just talking about our industry. I'm talking about all kinds of industries. So I'm very careful about using that word, but it is a house and we want to make sure that people feel good coming into the space. And so we, we spend a lot of time fostering a certain environment so people feel good. And um, it's, it's a lot of work. It's, it's, it's constant. It never ends. I have to tell you that I could not agree more with what you just said. And this is no disparagement to any organization of any size in any industry that it chooses to call their organization or team members Ohana. This is your opinion and my opinion. Yes. But our opinion is that you have an Ohana. Your workplace is a community. Yes, exactly. They don't owe you anything. No. Like a family may or may not, right? Yes. You are the captain of your ship the mistress of your domain, and you are part of a community. Yes. Yes. And that's why I like, you know, I, I do love our staff and I tell them all the time, I love you, you know, I, I but you nailed it. They have their own families. And so I think that people appreciate that because we're not, we really, really try to not say what to be hypocritical. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it, it's an it's an important value of ours to have like if we say we're going to do something we're going to follow through we're not perfect we make mistakes too but um but you don't you don't you have to hold your you have to behave a certain way in our restaurant in in order to work there mm-hmm. so we've worked really hard to sort of break these barriers down of like front of the house and back of the house you know like there's usually sort of like this like you know, well, it's like it's like sales and operations. Yes. Right. So, whoa, sales, they're like, you know, lauded and they get this and they get that. And we're over here grunting away. Right. And and also the relationship. So in FET, we don't call the people that come to FET customers. They are guests. And so it's it's about creating like a this, home. Yes. Like a home. It's and it's it takes a long time to hone and foster this environment but it's worth it to us because um, I think about the staff that we have and the people that I work alongside every single day. And, and many of them have been with us for a lot of years. Well, it speaks volumes. I'd like to listen to you about something. Another thing that I just really um, admire and relate to you on. So I understand that you um, have a heavy female team and, you know, some started with, you know, not much experience so it's a training ground and you talked about how you want to make the restaurant industry friendly for working mothers and of course your your person 
Emily Iguchi inspires you. Um, and you've, you know, worked around her working mother uh, responsibilities. And you're, I learned that your restaurant offers employees paid vacation, which is something unheard of for an independent restaurant. And someday soon, you hope to also add on the retirement on there. And I'd like to listen to you about, because this is not easy. You don't have to do this. So I want to listen to you about why you decided to do this, why you're committed to it. And I'd, I'm hoping that our listeners today, oh, maybe I'll start calling them guests, our guests today, ooh, um, make that transition, you know, whatever industry they're in, you know, it's not just about restaurants. It is especially so about restaurants because it's uncommon. But I want to listen to you about your commitment to working mothers because there's something really powerful there. Um, I'm very, very passionate about um, advocacy for working professional women. So please talk story with me about that. So what? So pe- a lot of people don't know this, but um, I left industry, when I say industry, working in the kitchen um, for many years. So the last time I was in a professional kitchen full-time was 2000 until we opened up that so that was a full 16 years of not being in the kitchen on a day-to-day basis now of course i was in kitchens in in a in a culinary education setting but it's very very different um and so i so chuck and i and chuck also lost left industry for a bunch of years to pursue graphic design and we had many many conversations about what we loved about our industry and what we just really, really just had difficulties with. And and we wanted to make a difference. We wanted to make a difference in this like little corner of Chinatown in Honolulu. And so when we opened up FET, we, we kept them saying to ourselves, we have to burden, again, I'm using that word, we have to burden or stress test the restaurant to... Um, be financially sound with all the things that we th- are important to us. So that is paying for healthcare completely. Our employees, Whoa, don't really? in, they don't, they don't put in anything. The, the restaurant takes care of everything. That's um, incredible. And that has been since day one. Um, we started 401k last October. That was very, very difficult um, because the, Setting up these structures in a small house, it's not it's not user friendly for small businesses. No, it's not. Nobody has figured that out. Right. It's it's, it's set up for corporations right. and for really You don't really have any benefit to scale. Right. So so and and really Chuck has worked really hard to to bridge that gap and to make it happen. Um as far as and 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 then it's going back to having it be friendly to working mothers, it was unheard of to have maternity leave for, for mothers or to have a flexible schedule to pick up to pick so up. So then they have children. to make a choice. Yes. It's your career or yes. your child. Yes. And right. I said that is complete you know what? Like we yes. can, we can do it better. Like we can do it better. We might not figure it out. We might it might be like really goofy. And so I always tell the cooks, hey, because Everyone and and not just now. I'm as a child-free woman. I don't want everyone to, that doesn't have kids to feel left out either. So everyone benefits from having a flexible schedule. If you want to do, oh, this, I see. It's not just if you have children. No, right. If you want to do tango on Tuesday nights, and that's your thing and you communicate it to me and Chuck, then we'll make it happen. Yeah. So everyone benefits. If, you have, are you, if you're taking care of Kupuna and you want to spend time on every single Tuesday, you spend time with your grandma, we're going to make it happen. But I think this goes back to what we said earlier, which is you respect everyone's ohana. This is a, FET is a community. You have your own ohana and I respect you as an individual. Yes. Now, that said, it comes with a cost. Of course, right? which is why people don't do it. The cost is, um, is it really falls on everyone to understand the flexibility of the schedule. So yeah, like, is there a schedule? Sure. But because people have vacation, because life happens and people have to, um, you know, they have bereavement because life happens, because people get hurt, they are in an accident. 
all these things happen and we make it work. Now, the other thing that has happened is, um, and people are so appreciative. So, so they're happy to fill in when, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's, it, it works. Mm-hmm. And I also wonder the understanding that, that when they are at FET, I want your A plus game. Yes. Right? Yes. And they, they are, they're happy to chip in and, um, but the cost is, is sometimes the scheduler makes the schedule late. And I, I'm laughing because that's me. So um, <laughs> um, for, for, for the kitchen. So, um, but everyone's really understanding because they, they trust us. They trust yeah. the process. They trust that, you know, our cooks have four day work weeks. Wow. Yeah. And wow. so they have a lot of time to, to pursue out of work things. So I asked you what's next and you gave me permission and I am so excited because I also love food in hand pocket thingies, bake thingies. And so I said, okay, so what's next for you? And you told me that um, in the old, the little village space that you will be launching a bakery concept. Yes. With hand pies, ding dongs and baked bao. And some other goodies. Oh my goodness, I can't wait. Food in pastry stuff. Um, and at night, it'll be a natural wine bar. And your target open is late this year. Oh my goodness. Yes, I'm freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm saying oh my goodness because I'm so excited. We're excited and, and we're freaking this out. This is just for you, isn't it? This is just the food you want to eat. Yes. <laughs> so everyone's like, what's your concept? And so the concept is, it's it really is a, a baked, a, a bait baked and pastry slash sweets extension of FET. So we do what we love to eat. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, okay, so Robin Fierce, I was gonna call you Robin Ma'i, but Robin Fierce, um, before we say goodbye, if I could ask you my season two question, and that is, if you could be reincarnated, what animal would you return as and why? Oh my goodness. Um, sea otter. They're so cute. They're so cute. You just want to be on your back and eat clam? I just want to, yep. I just want to cruise on my back, bask in the sun, have my little snack on my chest, and then like, you know, have have the people look at me and it's like, oh, look at her. She's so cute. <laughs> okay. That- <laughs> And I'll be right next to you in the in the in the seaweed patch. Robin Maii, Robin Fierce Maii, thank you so much for spending time with me and sharing your story and frankly being so vulnerable and um, just exuding this gift of connection. Thank you. Have a beautiful day. You. Thank you. You've been listening to the Hawaii Business Podcast, presented by Surfco Pacific. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or visit us at hawaiibusiness.com. If you like this episode, leave us a rating or review. Again, I'm your host, Anyang Nakata. Mahalo for joining us today and see you next time.